0: Good morning. Glad you're here today. And God bless you. It's always good to be in the presence of the Lord and to be with good people like you. Turn around, and smile, and say, just think about them. They can wonder what you're thinking. You may not be. <laughs> Are you good or not? But anyway, hey, God bless you. Welcome. Thank you for those, our guests, whether first or second or third time, for filling out those connection cards. And we really do. Uh, commit to praying for you on those prayer Quest cards with that and whatever you're going through, we want to come alongside you, and pray for you, believe God for the miracle you may need in your life. I'm excited today uh, that we have, coming up this Wednesday, a uh, way to honor the Lord and to recognize the Lord's uh, sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. Now, many denominations have already begun the uh, preparation for his death, burial, and resurrection through Lent, beginning last Wednesday, what is commonly referred to as Ash Wednesday. And we've not done this before. Uh, So this year we're taking a new venture in our spiritual journey and disciplines to engage with Lent. But we're beginning this Wednesday because I wanted to bring it in until Easter. I wanted us to go through Easter uh, up until that day. And so we're beginning this Wednesday. Now, do you happen to have a bulletin in that bulletin there is a, uh, a commitment card for Lent. I want everyone here to have that. If you don't have one, if you got in here somehow without one of these, raise your hand real high and one of our fine ushers, as Angel called them, reliable, <laughs> they're going to begin to distribute those to you. So keep those hands up, please, so that you can have one of these. Uh, Lent, if you don't know, Lent is, a, um, is actually from the word that means spring. But uh, it's, it's in the spring of the year that we begin to prepare our hearts and minds for the suffering Jesus encountered uh, in his trial, in his crucifixion. But then also the victory that he encountered in his burial and resurrection. And so it's a way for us to prepare, to think about, meditate on, read scripture, pray, and prepare us for that, uh, that time. And also to recognize, even as he suffered, we also suffer. Yeah, so we join him in his suffering. Uh, and that's the purpose of this fast in the Lent season is to recognize that Jesus gave up his all for us so we're willing we are willing to give up something for him as well in, in partial, because we can't do the whole thing and he doesn't expect that but to recognize what he sacrificed for us we're willing to say Lord I want to sacrifice something for you as well so on this card you'll see on the top half of this card it's a tear-off card on the top half of this card It describes this Lent for us this year. Lent, uh, so we're talking about let us prepare to celebrate our Lord and Savior's resurrection through prayer and self-denial from Wednesday, that's this coming Wednesday, March 13th, to Easter Sunday, April the 21st. So there's the blank, I'm giving up. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if I said something like I'm giving up liver, you know, that would not be a, a tough sacrifice for me because my body gave that up and rejected it at birth. I, I, just, I just said, Lord, for the rest of, and all of my life, I will not eat liver. And, you know, uh, that, that's, you know, I don't like liver. I don't like liver. I don't like the smell of liver. I don't like the taste of liver. So if I say I'm giving up liver, how many know I'm not really giving up anything? That's really not a sacrifice, Right. And you may be the same way, say, okay, I can give up, you know, uh, uh, chocolate. I can give up potato chips or, you know, Cheetos or something you don't like. Or I can give up this or that. And it might be something besides food. Now, normally when we think of fasting, fasting literally means to cover your mouth. So in other words, you're not taking in. But you can fast in other areas as well. It may be media. It may be some kind of entertainment. Uh, It it may be something else that you want to give up. You say, this is kind of important to me. And uh, I, I, I tend to crave it or I, my flesh tends to crave it. I tend to like this and so on. I'm going to give this up. So I just want you to think about it for the next few minutes. And, and even through the, through, through the message, you can be thinking about it. What am I going to give up? And then if you would, please, jot it down on that card. I'm giving up. And then fill out the bottom portion. Fill out the bottom portion. I commit to 40 days of suffering with Jesus. Give us your name and email. Now, I want that because the last couple weeks of the 40-day period, I want to be able to send you a small devotional, a short devotional via email. And you can join with everybody else Well, I'll be focusing on the same things the last couple weeks of the Lent season prior to Easter in preparation for his death, burial, and resurrection. So allow me to send you those devotionals, all right? It won't be real long. Just brief devotional, scripture a short thought, etc. but I want to send you that. And so join with us, please. I'd like for everybody, I'd like for all of us, we're not this year, we, we, we decided not to do the 21 day Daniel fast that we normally do in the first of the year. Instead, we wanted to do a 40 day uh, Lent type of fast. And so giving up something that is significant to you and then, uh, and, then sell, and, and then that self-denial act of sacrifice for 40 days. Uh, so as an act of spiritual discipline, honoring the Lord. So let's do that together as a family, as a body of believers. Let's do that together. Then simply tear off the bottom from the top. Keep the top portion. Put it somewhere where it reminds you what you're giving up. Uh, Put it somewhere, maybe on the fridge, on the mirror, somewhere, maybe in your Bible, because you go through there daily to read. Somewhere significant where it will remind you that you're doing a self-denial act and, and, and what it is. Then give us the bottom portion. Now, the easiest way for us to get this and, and uh, to have this is just to simply lay it on the chair where you're sitting. Instead of trying to find an usher or go back to a table and drop it off, we tend to do, forget that stuff. So just make it easy on yourself. Simply lay it on the chair as you leave. That would be fantastic. And I thank you for praying with us for Easter season, for the, for the victories that God wants to bring this Easter to the church family and to yours. So thank you for doing that. Also, I'm really excited to announce this. This year, (coughs) excuse me, this year in October, the church is engaging in a missions trip. We'll be heading to Mexico, and we want you to to entertain the idea of going. You may say, Pastor, I've never been on a missions trip before. I would love it if everybody in this church went on at least one short-term missions trip in your life. That would be phenomenal. It would be wonderful. And so come and check it out. Find out what's going on, what it all means, the opportunities of ministry that we'll have there uh, in Mexico and uh, the cost of it, uh, what's expected of you, et cetera, et cetera, An informational meeting will be conducted after both services next Sunday. If you happen to be in the 9 a.m. service next week, then you can meet in room 106 immediately following the service or if you're in this service next Sunday, you can go to room 106 for a short meeting. there will only be about 15 minutes, but you'll get, uh, you'll get information, you can ask questions, and begin to pray about it. We're not signing up next Sunday, it's just information and, uh, and questions. And so come, check it out, find out what's all included, what we're looking at, and uh, come and join us. It would be awesome if some students could go. If students could go, parents, send in your students. I tell you what, it will do them a world of good to be able to go to somewhere like this and see what's really happening in the world. It would do them a world of good. Yes, they'd be missing a few days of school that have fall break a couple days already, plugged into that time away, but they they can get prepared and and ready to miss school and, and they'll be fine with it. This is an education in and of itself. So do your kids a favor, spiritually, educationally, do them a favor and get them going on this trip as well. So it would be of a certain age or so. Julie West is leading this. Pastor Montoya is leading this. They will help you know a certain age level has to be there and be met. So anyway, we, we invite you to join us for that informational meeting next Sunday. Now let's go in our Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our sermon series today entitled Built to Last. We started last Sunday on the foundational principles of the Beatitudes. Where Jesus had told us in Matthew 7, the close of it, he said, if you want to have your house to last, if you want to build your life to last, build your life on the rock, on the Word of God. Build your home, your life on God's Word, and it will be built to last. And so we started last week on the foundation, laying the foundation. And how is that? Well, Jesus starts off in the first of Matthew 5, because the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, which he's talking about a new normal. He said this is a new way of living. He's introducing the new covenant. He's saying, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about a, having a higher standard of living, have more of a heart-centered focus in living, have a more of a kingdom mindset in living, and so he begins with the attitudes, our values that we're to possess and have, all right? And so that's where we laid the foundation for our lives with the right attitude. If you have a stinking attitude, how many know you're not going to get anywhere in life? Amen? Oh, yeah. So the attitude about God, about the world and others, and about yourself, Jesus focuses on that in the five, or excuse me, the eight beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. So as he's commanding us to have a higher level of of loving and living, it starts with our attitude, but then it also continues with our way of thinking. A home built to last is a home that is built on the sure foundation of God's Word and proceeds then by building the walls. I'd call that the structure of your home, the structure of your house, building up the walls. You begin with the foundation, then you build the walls. And it's all about God's way of thinking, God's way of thinking. Which is, like I've said, it's higher, it's heart-centered, and it's kingdom-minded. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, and let's go to verse 17. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're just going to read a few verses to start with, and then we'll continue on in the rest of Matthew 5. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Let me just say, that means the whole Old Old Testament. that's, That's talking about the whole Old Testament. but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father God, thank you for your presence here today. The lives that have been healed, the lives that have been changed all by your power. And we thank you for the opportunity to sit now and hear your Holy Spirit speak to us. Help us, Lord, to align our hearts and our thinking with your word. And enable us, therefore, to have homes, lives built to last now and for eternity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. So we begin today with this right way of thinking, which is like the structure for any home. The right way of thinking. Jesus sets the plumb line for our thinking. He helps us to get off on a straight way of building our homes. We build on the foundation of God's Word, beginning with the attitudes, but now we've got to get our our thinking right in alignment with God's will and word. And so he sets the plumb line for our thinking, as we've read here in verses 17 through 20. I want you to understand this. Jesus is kind of, he's taken us now, and he said, okay, before I say any more and give you any more insight to this new way of thinking, this new normal, this new covenant, before I say anything else, I want you to understand this. I am not getting rid of the old covenant, he says. I'm not getting rid of that. I'm not about to abolish that. My goodness, this is the Holy Word of God. The commands of God are still valid. The principles and truths of God's Word are still valid. He says, there's no way I'm going to abolish that. He says, rather, we're going to fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill it. Now, when he says, I'm going to fulfill it, he is saying, it's in my person and my words that I'm fulfilling it. So as you see me, And as you listen to me, I'm bringing you the fulfillment. I'm I'm giving you the truth of what was meant and and the heart of those commands, those truths and principles. But what he's going to do is refute the extra-biblical traditions of men, the things that were added on that should never have been there. And he's going to say it in a, in several ways. So, in, in six in six directives, he gives us in six new thought structures. We'll talk about them in a moment. He is saying to you, "I want you to think about it like this." It's no longer it, it, it's not what you heard yesterday, but it's what you're hearing today. He and he says it. If you have the King James Version or an older like he, he, English, it may say, "Verily, verily, I say to you." Today's translations, like the NIV or others, will say you heard it said, but now I'm telling you. that He's setting a new paradigm. He's shifting our thoughts to a new way of thinking. He's not getting rid of the old. He's saying, but we've got to, we've got to overcome some junk that's been taught for years that was not meant to be there. And that, and that, and that thinking has bogged you down, has, has weighted you down, and, and has brought confusion to your life. So he says, I want you to think clearly and I wanna establish the fulfillment of what was originally said and tend to be understood. So Jesus is the, he's the personifier, he's the fulfillment. So we know that in the Old Testament it's revealed. God has revealed himself, first of all, in creation as a general revelation. And then the word of God, that progressive revelation started with the holy word of God, with the law of Moses, we call that the first five books of the Bible, proceeding on then, to the, law, to the prophets and proceeding on then to the, to the major and minor prophets, et cetera, et cetera. And all of the Old Testament, that's all given to us as a way of God revealing himself to us. And the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, all the Old Testament commandments, the fulfillment is Jesus himself. He is what we call the special revelation of God. And so he said, you can see me, you've seen the Father. He said, when you've seen me, you're seeing the word that's been fulfilled. You're seeing the accomplishment of the desired goal of God's commands and truths and principles. So when I show you my life and I share with you my truths, you're seeing this actualized and manifested right in front of your eyes. Jesus is that special revelation. So then he goes ahead and says, these are not to be done away with, but rather to be fulfilled in the lives of God's followers Christ's followers romans three thirty one says it like this do we then overthrow the law by his faith by no means or excuse me by this faith by no means on the contrary we uphold the law so the law the old testament was never meant to be done away with it's meant to be fulfilled those who practice listen to this good news those who practice and teach god's commandments will be called great in his kingdom do you know where that starts Oh, it doesn't start with the rabbi, it doesn't start with the preacher, it doesn't start with the pastor. Do you know where the, the teaching of God's great commandments start? It starts in the home. It starts with mom and dad talking to the kids about God and his word. That's where it starts deuteronomy says it like this he says you know write it on the write it on your foreheads write it on your doorposts write it on your gates when you go out to walk in the afternoon talk about my word when you sit to dine at the table at night talk about my word talk about my life oh i don't know how many times this has been actualized in my home and family with my mom even today she's close to 89 years old if i call her today or tomorrow, and I say, Mom, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, honey. I'll say, well, what's going on? And, and she'll tell me what's going on. I, how you feeling, Mom? Well, I'm feeling good. And, and invariably, every time I'm telling she'll say, well, you know, you know, Troy, the Lord's good to us in this. And then she'll quote me a scripture, or she'll talk about a principle, and she'll talk about how faithful God is. This has just been a fabric of her life and and therefore of my life. It's been ingrained in me because I heard it from my mom and my dad. Oh, parents, you are called great in the kingdom of God when you begin teaching your children the ways of the Lord. Isn't that good news? God wants to bless you so much. So let's start teaching those kids. Amen? Now, he's also saying in this this, uh, opening stanza so to speak he's saying Christians are to live by a a higher standard I'm sorry I woke the precious baby up Christians are to live by a higher standard a holy holy standard you see Pharisees he said they practice outward holiness to be seen by men and we'll talk about that more next week because Matthew 6 is all about that these guys think by prayer and fasting and everything is to be seen by men that's outward holiness Jesus expects from you and I, his Christ followers, to have both inward and outward holiness. You don't do away with one or the other. It's both and. Inward. We're only righteous inwardly because we're made right by God's grace when we give our lives to him. And then we practice outward holiness only by the help of the Holy Spirit who comes to regenerate us, save us, change us, we are born again by his His grace, and so then we live out what he has put in us. We practice it. And then Jesus, like I said, refutes the uh, extra-biblical teachings by making statements such as verily, verily, or you have heard it said, but I say. Now let's go to a portion of scripture where he addresses some thought structures, and he makes significant paradigm shifts. So Jesus sets up He sets us straight on six thought structures in verses 21 through 47. Let's go first of all to verse 21 where he talks about anger. All right, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even get angry. He's talking about unrighteous anger. You see, we realize that the judicial system can punish someone for murder, but only God can judge someone for unrighteous anger. And we see this unrighteous anger expressed in one of two ways, by murder or by insult. Here's the thing. It's the attitude that deserves judgment. Both are evil, and God hates both equally. You see, unrighteous anger towards a brother or sister is really the seedbed for what could become a murder. We talk a lot today about hate crimes, And, and, and an act of violence against someone, they think it has more emphasis if we call it a hate crime, but I can tell you, anyone who commits murder already has a heart of anger in their life, either towards that person or someone else. It's an act of vengeance. It's an act of anger. And they're spewing out anger. So Jesus says, it might not be expressed in anger, but if it's a seed of anger in your heart towards someone who has offended you, then it's still destructive. And in the eyes of the Lord, it's as destructive to have that anger boiling up within you that would cause you to call someone a fool it's just as destructive as to go and act out the physical ramifications of that anger through murder and god will judge both now jesus is saying okay let's take it another step that the believer is not only to be thinking about his or her anger or how they've been offended by someone else they're also to consider how they might have angered and offended someone else, a brother of theirs. So in other words, he said, let's flip it. Don't just think about how you've been angry. Think about, is it possible you caused someone else to be offended? Perhaps you've made someone else angry. You've got to think about that now. Because that's a better, higher way, a more godly way of thinking. Have I hurt someone? Have I offended someone? Have I angered someone? So there's two people who could be offended. One, a brother or sister in the Lord, and an adversary. So as we go now, we want to think about building the walls. If you're in your notes, build your walls. First of all, go, Jesus says, go and make peace with the brother you have offended while still being responsible to bring your gift to God's altar. Now when you think about it, There was an altar that was made out in front of the tabernacle, and that's where you began your journey of spiritual worship with God. You brought your gift. Now, it could be in the Old Testament day, it was a a ram or a lamb, or it could be a pair of doves, or it could be some other uh, uh, pigeons or something like that. And it may be for a sin offering, it could be for a guilt offering, or it could be for like an atonement offering. And you're bringing that sacrifice to God. It represents your belongings. You're bringing something that is valuable to you. And you're giving it to the Lord. So he says, now, be responsible. Bring that gift to the altar. But before you offer it to God, before it's laid on the altar and and either slain and blood is spilled or it's burnt on that altar, whether it be wheat or any kind of offering, before it's offered up to God as an act of worship, Go and reconcile with your brother or sister. Because Jesus is saying, how can it be truly a gift that is an act of worship to God when your heart has anger towards another? How can you say you love God when you don't love your brother or sister in the Lord? So be responsible, yes. Bring your tithes, your offerings to the Lord. But before you give them, I'll say before next week, Go and make peace with your brother. And then with an adversary, he says, settle the matter with an adversary. In other words, someone who might be outside the family of God, but, and they have something against you before they, want, before they want to take you to court or sue you. Settle the matter on the way to court. You see, friend, both of these give, God's, give God, gives God space to judge them as he deems fit and to save you from bringing condemnation on yourself. Because when I condemn someone else, judge someone else, I myself will be judged. And and, and for both of these, certainly, Jesus says, do it as soon as possible. Uh, I, I think about the iconic philosopher of the 20th century, how he might say this. Let's see how he might say it. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Nip it. In the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. Nip it. In the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. Nip it. In the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. Nip it. In the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. How many say it with me? Nip it. Nip it in the bud. Do it as soon as possible. Conflict resolution. Conflict can be taken care of a lot easier if you nip it in the bud. Do it as soon as possible, Jesus says. And then let's go on to verse 27, where Jesus deals with what we might call a very touchy subject here. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus is dealing with lust here. And he says, you know, it once was said about committing adultery, but he says, I, we've got to take it a step further, guys. It's not only the physical act of adultery, but it's the heart act. It's that lustful intent. That lustful intent. You see, lustful intent is more than a passing glance. It is a strong desire. That's really what that word lust, lustful intent, really means. It's, It's an ongoing thought, a strong desire. You see, friend, temptation is not in in itself a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. But a strong desire that says, if I had the opportunity, is a sin. James 1 verses 14 and 15 tells us this. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. You see, sometimes I don't think we recognize the danger of rusting. We play games with it. But the Bible says in the Proverbs, "How how can you play with fire and not be burned? So we play these games. I'll just look at this a little longer. I'll just think about her a little more. I'll just I'll just think about that guy. You know what if? And we'll play these games. And, and, and so it's dangerous. It's gonna it's gonna affect us. Do you understand that unwholesome thoughts cloud spiritual eyes from seeing the evil of that sin and the beauty of God. Remember what Jesus says in the attitudes. How He said our way of thinking correctly, having the right attitude. He said, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they." shall see God. So how do we build the walls to protect us? How do we build the walls to set a structure in our home that will protect us? And I want to remind you, Jesus is using figurative language here when he says, okay, if your right eye causes you a problem, in other words, you're looking at a woman, or you're looking at pornography, or you're looking at something that's a trigger point for you to lust. He says, gouge your eye out. That's figurative language. But he says, listen, if you're having a problem with your right hand, and, and you're sitting with your right hand, and, 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 and he says, it would be better to cut that hand off. He's been figurative, but what he's saying is this. Because each of those is what? Radical. Really, really radical. He said, wouldn't it be better for you to do something radical to prevent yourself from lusting? To prevent yourself from enjoying that sinful pleasure for a moment? And the Bible, is, the Bible assures us there is there is pleasure in sin for a season. Oh yes, there's pleasure in that sin. It, 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 the fa- you know the the fantasizing is is pleasurable. The acts that come with it are pleasurable, but it it it's only good for a season. But Jesus is going to say that thing is going to kill you. It's destroying you. James says it will. Cause you to murder yourself. In a sense, it's 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 corroding you, it's destroying you from the inside out. So Jesus is using figurative language of such to make a radical point that it's better to suffer temporary loss of sinful pleasure than to suffer eternally in hell. So, what do you do to build your walls and set a structure in your life for a healthy home? Make a radical decision to prevent what triggers your lust. Make a radical decision to prevent what triggers your lust. Stay away from it. Create borders. Create borders to protect you and your family. You see, friend, the idea of a walls, building walls in a house, the idea of building walls in a house is to keep everyone inside safe from the potential harm on the outside so we've got to create borders build strong walls that protect us from entering or engaging in activity that is going to be harmful to us and to our families this is something that people today it's a hard thing because so many are dealing with it Jesus wants you to be healthy he wants you to be holy Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I'll just quickly tell you, is Romans 5.21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So often we're thinking about, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to go there, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, it's not just thinking about what I don't want to do. You overcome it by doing something positive, by something good. Because you can't do two things at once. So instead of thinking and acting in a manner that is harmful to your system, harmful to your spirituality, harmful to your household, do something on the good. And that's this, Romans six thirteen. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. You know, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with lust, you know what I'd say to you? Go find something to do for the Lord. Come and volunteer here at the church. Go and find something you can do around your house. Go and find someone you can help. Do something positive. Be a servant of the Lord and put your mind and your body in use, in good use, to overcome the evil practices that are damaging you. Verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus here is strengthening the sanctity of marriage. You see, Old Testament laws or Old Testament Jews allowed only men to divorce. And then only required a certificate signed by two witnesses. They'd take that certificate then and bring it to the wife and say, I'm divorcing you. And that's all it that was required. Jesus said, That's too wide. That's too wide. That's too much. That's too easy. Typically a woman couldn't divorce the husband. It was the husband that divorced the wife. And all he had to say is go to two of his compadres and say, Hey guys. I don't like my wife anymore. She's not treating me right, or she's not doing this or doing that, blah, 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 and I want to get a divorce. So, will you sign this bill of certificate, this bill of divorce? And, okay, yeah, yeah. We sign it, we sign it. And then they take it to her. All right. Now, then what happens? She leaves the house. And he says, you know what? I want to get someone else. I have someone else in mind. And he goes and marries another woman. In the meantime, what is she to do? She needs provision, she needs help. She still may be young enough. And a man finds her attractive or something and says, let's let's get married. So now what's transpired? The fellow who gave her the divorce and marries another has committed adultery by not staying with his first wife. He's acted in adultery by marrying someone else. The woman who's married another man while she is unrighteously divorced... She commits adultery, and then also causes him to commit adultery because he's marrying a woman who is not, not righteously divorced. So three of them now are walking in adultery. So Jesus refutes this wide door, this practice that had been allowed, and he narrows it. He said, the one thing that I will accept, a righteous cause for divorce, is is marital unfaithfulness, sexual immorality. Now with the idea of marital unfaithfulness also comes this idea that someone is being maritally unfaithful when they flagrantly, that's not right. It's not fragrant, flagrant, (laughs) there you go. Abuse you. That was also thought of as marital unfaithfulness. Outside of that, there's no just cause for divorce; therefore, no no just cause for remarriage. What do you do? Jesus says, "Sanctify your marriage and your marriage vows by not committing extramarital immoralities." Don't go there. Now, let me just share this with you, because in this day and age, we have this idea that living together if we love each other and we, we intend to get married but, 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 but living together it's not a sin it's not adultery if we intend to get married can I tell you that is a lie of the devil now I want to say with all the grace and the love of God in my heart no well I don't understand my mama told me yeah Your mama didn't tell you right. She may not have known better. She might have said, honey, you know, your mom and dad, your dad and I got a divorce and we were never meant to be living together. Uh, We shouldn't have ever been married. And and before you get married, you need to find out if if you really love that person. So go ahead and live with them. Can I tell you, that is not healthy, holy advice. That is not from the word of God. You're committing adultery. Well, what's the big deal? Listen, you don't plan, you don't be presumptuous with God. You don't say, God, listen, I'm just going to sin like this for a while, and after a while, you know, when we get married, I'll ask you to forgive me. That's presumption. What's wrong with that? That's disrespectful. That's disrespectful, that's the lack of the fear of God. And that will get you in danger of judgment. You see, God created marriage to be a beautiful place that as two are married and living in that sanctified place, it is the original holy place with God. That two people could come together and enjoy sexual union. And the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled before God. Do it with great liberty. Do it with great intimacy. Do it with great joy. Enjoy yourselves. God created you. To have that sexual intimacy. But it's only intimate in the eyes of the Lord when it's pure. Extramarital affairs are not pure in the eyes of God. Living together without being married is impure in the eyes of God. I've got to tell you straight up, don't be deceived by thinking, it's okay, we're going to get married, we intend to get married. No! So what's my advice to you? Here's what I'll tell you. If you do intend to marry the one you're living with, Plan to get married ASAP. But while you're not married, move out. That's radical. Oh yeah. Jesus said, wouldn't it be better to be radical and be holy to save yourself rather than destroy yourself in hell? but it's not practical. Wouldn't it be better to be impractical and holy than to be practical and live in hell? Listen to me. I want your life to be saved. God wants your life to be whole. But you're creating chaos. Chaos when you're living outside of God's will. Now you say, well, pastor, what about us? Were we married now? Do we go back to our, do we break this marriage off and go back to another marriage we had? Oh, no, 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 no. This is where God's grace comes in. If you honestly and sincerely say, God, I repent of that kind of action. I repent of of the mistakes and the bad decisions I made in the past. And God, I want my household to be holy and well. God, please forgive me. Can I tell you what God will do? He will forgive you. But from this point on, honey, it's like Jesus when the woman was caught in the act of adultery was brought to him. What did he say? He said, okay, those of you who are without sin, you can go ahead and start stoning this girl. Well, one by one, they had to walk away because they realized we are with sin. And then what did Jesus say to the young lady? He said, okay, neither do I condemn you. Do You understand, God's not in condemnation business. He wants you whole, and he wants you holy. So he says this to her next. Go and sin no more. And that's what he wants of us. So make this the last marriage, make it the best marriage, and build it now on God's Word. Amen? If there has been adultery committed in your household, here's what I recommend. Oh, I know it's just, a just cause to get a divorce and to remarry again. Certainly. But pursue restoration, if at all possible. That each of you could be healed. And your marriage could be restored. Because it will save you and your family from a lot of injuries down the road. Pursue restoration, if at all possible. And let God heal you of potential injuries and past mistakes. Practice the beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And when you practice that attitude, I guarantee you, you're building strong walls for the rest of your life. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to your people long ago, do not break your oath. Now oath meaning promises and vows, such. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, now, the old-time rabbis made allowances for some oaths to be broken. And Jesus has heard that. You see, there were some rows, some, some, some that could not be broken, and some that could be broken. The ones that could not would be something like this. All right, I'm making an oath, I'm making a vow, I'm going to do this. I swear by heaven, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by God's throne. I'm guaranteeing my promise. And the rabbis would say, that one, you can't break that one because you're sworn by heaven, you're sworn by God. Or someone else would say, I swear by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Chin. Alright, swear by the one hair that Pastor Tyler has now and no, down, kidding you? I right, swear by the <laughs> He didn't hear that. I swear. It's good, man. Looking good. All right. I swear. And notice I can't do that. I can't do that. Okay, so <laughs> I'm not faking. I'm not making Yes I did. I I'm, I'm not I'm I gotta confess I'm lying. I don't know why I lied just then. Forgive me, Lord. And forgive me, Pastor Tyler. Do you forgive me? God love you. All right, so, I swear by the hair. Okay. No! He says, okay, yeah, you can break that one because you just sweared by your hair, the chin-chin-chin. Jesus says, no! You don't need any of that! You don't have to make a promise or a vow and swear by anything, because everything, actually, says, is God's. So don't swear by anything. Just give them your word. You see, a believer... Of Christ Jesus. His or her word is adequate, should be good enough. Don't make outrageous guarantees on a promise. Just give them your word. That's all that's needed. So, building the walls, be a person of integrity. Say what you mean and mean what you say. In other words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone starts to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? What are you saying? The Old Testament law was instituted to curb evil hearts from taking the law in one's own hand. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Where did that come from? There were nations all around them that were pagan nations. They actually had this kind of laws. A life for an eye and a life for a tooth. That's pretty extreme. So the law of Judaism said, now wait a minute, we can't go that far. Let's just make it an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A little more fair. They were, in other words, trying to say, okay, let's restrict revenge, but declare justice. Let's bring proper judgments on someone, but we'll let the judge do it and not us. Let's bring proper judgment. Jesus sets a higher standard here. He says okay, when someone does something to you, hurts you or whatever, slaps you on the cheek, insults you, don't take it personally. When someone asks you or commands you to go with them an extra mile like the Roman soldiers could do, hey, pick up my bags, carry it with me for this next mile, and you pick that up, don't get insulted by that. Instead, he says... Give God room to work his grace in their life. How do you do that? Refrain from a hateful spirit when wronged. Proverbs 15.1 I had to learn this when I was a kid because I had such a temper. A soft answer turns away wrath. In other words, don't resist but persist in showing a Christ-like attitude and values persist in showing a Christ-like character and attitudes. And then last, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus is making it pretty simple here. He said, you know, the traditions went beyond the scripture, where the scripture said to love your neighbor. They tacked on to that. Hate your enemies. Jesus said, no, 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 no. He says, we can do better than that. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. That was radical thought. It was only natural to do good for those who do good to you. It's only natural to be kind to those who are kind to you. That's that's easy. But Jesus said, how about loving those who are not kind to you? Loving those who mistreat you. Loving those who persecute you. Loving those who are your enemies that's a godly attitude so let's nail it all down verse 48 commonly translated be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect let's nail it down verse 48 I want you to stand with me for the reading of this last word in scripture I love the paraphrase the message way of putting it in a word What I'm saying is, grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others. The way God lives toward you. That's what he's saying. Maturity in Christ looks like. Acting like your Heavenly Father who's living towards you graciously and generously. You go and act the same way. Let me ask you a question. Are you building your life, your home on the Word of God? If not, start today. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart, and you sense conviction somewhere, maybe one of these six thought structures, anger, lust, murder, divorce, etc. And you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I... uh, uh, I've got some anger issues against someone. I have unforgiveness towards someone. I've got a bitterness towards someone. Oh friend, cry out to God's mercy today. And then go and make peace with that one. A S A P. Nip it in the bud. Pastor, there's been things I've dealing with lust. Can I tell you? Repent of that today. Come clean with him. Go and set those borders around your life. Begin to act in a way physically and mentally that is positive and good, that helps others. Give your life to the service of the Lord. But maybe another area. God the Holy Spirit wants to heal you right here now. By his mercy, he wants to say, okay, today, We can start rebuilding that home. We can straighten up what's been taken out of place. We can rebuild what's been hurt and lost. We can start right here. That's the mercy of God. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's the grace of God. He said, okay, you set your heart right with me today, then boom, let's start acting on it today, tomorrow. Let's start working on it now. Practicing and applying the word of God today. That's good by him.